Okay, the last thing we saw was the Indian of Navua. Navua is Lamaila Mitam Vadas, a state of Shtus, Shtus to Kedusha. And we see that, that the Navim lose control of what we would refer to as self. Why do they lose control of self? Because their Seichel and their Midas have to move out of the way in order for them to be a proper Kli for the information that the Ebishter wants to give them. It won't be colored by their Seichel or their Midas. Therefore, they stripped off their clothing, clothes representing the Indian of Hergish Atzmei, a person being sensitive to self, the whole story of Chetet Zadas, which is where the clothes came from. And they would lay on the ground and be in the throes of something akin to an epileptic fit. No, no copies? Yeah. Well, I've given you a couple. So what happens to them? You have a copy? Maybe you have a copy. Not done, you have a copy? I don't know. I, I understand what happens to people's copies. This is, if I gave you $10, you'd just like lose it. This is more important than $10. It's good people to buy the actual book. Well, we don't, but yeah, but we don't use the same. Uh, though there are about you know eight or ten Maimarium that we could probably put in a book, and we, we do go through those Maimarium. If not, extra ones also, but lose those. It's not a bad idea. Let people lose the book. Okay. It's a story of the Kotzka Rebbe that uh, probably people have heard. That's the way it goes. That uh, he was sitting and learning in his base medrash like this. A doctor walked in, an ophthalmologist, whatever that was in those days, and uh, noticed that he needed glasses. So talked to him about getting glasses. So they outfitted the Kutzkarib with glasses. He had glasses. So the next time the doctor came into the base medrash, he wanted to see how the glasses were. So the Kutzker Rebbe had his glasses on the table and he was looking like this. So the doctor asked him if the glasses weren't the right prescription. Maybe they weren't working, he didn't see well. He said, no, I see him very well with the glasses. They're fantastic. So why isn't the Rebbe using the glasses? He said, well, I couldn't stand anything separating me from the holiness of the words on the page. So the covers glasses. Sooner you figure it out. The holiness is on the words on the page, not the words coming out of my mouth. What I'm saying is irrelevant. What they're saying is what's relevant. This is what matters. Here, a nice idea. No, you've got to leave the idea. It's here, and then you review, and you look at it, and you read it, and then... Nice idea. Eh. I wouldn't say there are a dime a dozen because Torah is true and it's important to hear nice ideas, but you know, you can sit with one of these little toys and listen to nice ideas all day long. Right? There's enough Torah on these, but that's not learning Torah. It's learning Torah is sitting down in front of a book and reading the words in the book and having your eyes and your, and your brain and your ears and everything involved in it. That's just what it is. <clears throat> so in, in, in the, in the, in the Vua, so the, the Navi loses control of self. Okay. Therefore, the Rebbe says, therefore we see that the, the Mishkan was made of shittim. Atzei shittim. 
Right? What's atzei shittim? Atzei shittim is transforming the shtus to klipa into shtus to kedusha. Right? And so the navi is called the meshuga. Why? Well, because he's lemaila mitam vedas. He's not working on the on the level of tam vedas. He's not working on the level of intellect. He's gone beyond intellect. And that's the only way to ultimately touch elokus. That doesn't mean we don't use our intellect. Of course we use our intellect. We use our intellect to connect to something beyond intellect. God is not intellectual. God is beyond intellect. He's the source of intellect. Created intellect. And intellect can appreciate him. But only once he's connected to in a level beyond intellect. Because if I appreciate him only within the context of my intellect, then I'm not appreciating him. Because not him. It's what my intellect has decided is him. Not what he is. Where is he? In the Torah. So you learn the Torah, meaning you, you, you mavatal yourself to something that, in a way that's completely beyond intellect. It doesn't matter what I think and what I've decided and what I vote on. No, no, no. There's a place where there's absolute truth. And I'm going to connect to that absolute truth. Once I connect to that absolute truth, I connect to it by bringing it into my intellect. That's true. But the connection has to be super rational. Don't connect to the Torah because the Torah makes sense. Connect to the Torah because it's God. Then I try to make sense of it. And if I can't make sense of it, so then that doesn't mean there's a problem with the Torah. There's just a limitation in my ability to make sense of it. And if the Torah says the moon is made out of blue cheese, so then the moon is made out of blue cheese. I, I was there and it was gray rocks. Okay, so hard to understand. Torah is true or my perception was true? Torah is true. It's called Shtus to Kedush. It's exactly what Shtus to Kedush. I'll be intellect. There's no way in the world you can tell me that, that the moon is made out of blue cheese. Right. But the Torah says the moon's made out of blue cheese. I I went to the moon and I checked it out and it looks like it's gray rock. So right. now the Torah doesn't say the moon is made out of blue cheese. The Torah doesn't do that. The Torah doesn't say things that are absolutely absurd. But it definitely says things that challenge our our, our understanding of reality. No question. Okay. What does that mean? There's a problem with the Torah. So some people just sort of apologize for the Torah. The Rebbe never apologizes for the Torah. Never does it. Why? Because the Torah is true. I have to apologize for truth. might be that I perceive reality in a different way. Okay, so then there's a problem with my perception of reality. It might be reasonable for me to perceive reality that way. Still there's a problem with my perception of reality. That's called Shtus to Kedusha. Just like the Shtus to Klippa, when we know there's a problem with my perception of reality, because my perception of reality will allow me to do things that are contrary to my objective understanding of truth. Okay, so that we talked about at length. So, okay, fine. What about going beyond my objective understanding of truth? That's called Shtus to Kedusha. That's how you build the Mishkan. So let's start. <clears throat> I'm going from the top. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 lines down. Lochein, middle of the line. We just started this. We got there for uh, Thursday. Lochein, I am a Mishkan, Miatse Shitim Dafka. This is the question we asked at the beginning of Ice Gimel. Therefore, the Mishkan was made out of Atse Shitim. Vahainu, Halamaila Minadas, that which is beyond understanding, a Mizbara Vinase, that's rectified and, and brought about you take something that simply might be a vehicle for 
darkness and turn it into a vehicle for light. Now the Rebbe is going to bring a very, very it's fascinating example in, in life of doing this. And we'll have to talk about it because Shtus to Kedusha is a very difficult thing to understand. Right, after it was for bringing about it with my son on job as he came to visit and and and, and just it always comes up. Shtus to Kedusha, Shtus to Kedusha. So, so one of the things he said that was very, very interesting. Shtus de Klippa, at some point you'll probably be embarrassed by the Shtus. Shtus de Kedusha, you'll be embarrassed by it. An example, you're walking in the street and you see your nephew, cute little three-year-old. He runs up to you, you pick him up, and you twirl around in the street five times. Shtus, what are you doing? Like, like with Shmuel Barav Yitzhak at the Chasna, right? Doing something silly, ridiculous. Fine, you're a, you're a serious human being, right? Okay. You twirl around with him five times. You throw him up in the air and you give him a big kiss. Okay. Shtus. Pashat Shtus. Okay, but where's it coming from? A super rational love for this little guy. Right? Just Pashat love this little guy. Okay. Five years later, someone says, oh, you know, I was on the street. When you're doing that, I filmed you. You're embarrassed by the film? No, my pito. You're filmed by the video. No, my pito, you're not embarrassed at all. Why? What? Perfectly reasonable show of love that's beyond tampadas. No problem. Okay. You're 15, you're in the street with three friends, and you start screaming. Ah! 15-year-olds in the street, right? running through the street. <laughs> Undergrads on campus, running across campus. <laughs> okay. Shtus. Shtus. 100%. How do you know it's the clip? Because five years later when you show the video, they say, well, I'm an idiot. It's embarrassing. <laughs> it's fucking embarrassing. Shtus. It was definitely Shtus. Klippa? For sure. Why? I mean, it doesn't take a lot to think about, right? And obviously, it's just Shtus to Klippa. It's just dumb. It's just a bunch of, you know, 15-year-olds or 18-year-olds or 19-year-olds, however old they were, trying to bring attention to themselves. Right? For whatever reason, they feel attention-starved and they need some attention, okay? So, whatever. Dye your hair pink. Put stuff in your, in your body to, you know, bring attention to yourself. Of what? Kleep. Most people, when they grow older, will grow out of it. Some don't. They're called rock and roll stars. But most people grow out and don't want, you know, objects in their tongue and eyebrow and, you know, don't necessarily think pink hair is cool. At a certain point in life, someone wants to bring attention to themselves. So they, so they, and, they, and that might be important for them emotionally, psychologically, whatever. I mean, obviously, you're not in a very good place if that's what they have to do. But say to okay, okay, that's what they have to do. So that's called shtus. But it's shtus to klip. Shtus to kedusha, a person actually might bring attention to themselves, but not, that's not what they're interested in doing. They're not interested in bringing attention. The last thing the person take, picking up his nephew and spinning around in the street five times is thinking about is what other people are thinking. All he's thinking about is the love he has for this little guy. And so he's you know, just so happy to see him.
And he just wants to hear him laugh because his laugh is such a pure laugh. So he'll throw him up in the air and the little kid laughs. Shtus, mama shtus. Ridiculous. Agreed, 100%. But the Kedusha. <laughs> Good shtus. Positive shtus. Okay, and that's how we built the Mishka. Our relationship with the Kaddish Baruch. Shtus to Kedusha. Now, it doesn't mean we act like idiots. It's not the idea, right? <laughs> because that's shtus to Kleep. If it's not real, and it's just something I'm doing in order to bring my bring attention to myself. So then it's shtus to kulip. When is it shtus to kedusha? When I lose myself in that relationship with the Kaddish Baruch. Now sometimes it might be also dealing with certain objective realities in Elamaz. You know, there's an incredible sikh of the Rebbe in last week's Parsha about, it talks about three different levels of relying on people. The first pasuk in the in the haftarah, if you notice, the first pasuk in the haftarah says, "Do not rely on people." Right? It's the first thing Micha says. So, so Rabbi uh, points out there's three different levels of that. Chazal say, "Adar adam Cursed is the person who relies on another person, which is strange. Right? I mean, not strange, very powerful. Ashrish, happy is the person that relies on a Kaddish Baruch Okay, but in the context of relying on, on a Kaddish Baruch there's two different levels, the Rebbe says, right? It's amazing sikha. It's the same thing. It's in the Last week's by Bolak. The person who relies on people, so obviously that shows a complete and total lack of bitachin in a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and, they, and they've sort of said, okay, that doesn't mean that we, we've learned this so often that we can talk about it, right, and we understand what the Rebbe's talking about, because we, we, we learned it in a number of my marim, right, and the Rebbe talked about it here, that since, you, relative to your pranasa, if you're relying on the intermediaries, so then you're, you're missing the boat, right, if you think that the, the person who runs the factory is the source of your parnasa, so then you're, you're missing the boat. Ah, you know that the Kaddish Baruch who created the world, and, uh, but, but you're giving too much credence to the intermediary. Okay, so that's outer. That's, that's the lowest level. The person who relies on another person. Right? Then there's the person who realizes it all comes from the Kaddish Baruch Hu, and that the factory is just a clee for it. Okay, but he still gives importance to the clee. He still sees the clee as a... As a as a very important part of the whole process. And so he connects the Parnassa to the Kli, even though he knows the Parnassa is coming from a Kaddish Baruch Hu, his living is coming from a Kaddish Baruch Hu, but, but the Kli for that is the, is the, is the factory, so he, he gives a lot of credence to the factory. So that person, that's not, that's not a state of cursedness. Other He appreciates the fact that it comes from a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Then the Rebbe talks about a higher level that's very subtle, it's just Amazing. The Rebbe talks about the love. He says, a person who realizes there's absolutely no connection whatsoever between the factory and his parnasa. It all comes from the Ebishter. It just happens to be that the Ebishter wants it to come through things and as a result of what you do, so you have to do. But, but your doing is only, is, is, is simply because of Kaddish Baruch Hu wants you to do. It's not because in order to get, you have to do. And the, the second guy says, look, the Abish created the world in such a way that in order to get his bracha, right, it's right? We saw the pasuk, right? God will bless you in all that you do. Right? Okay, so we have to do. So when we do, what, what's that doing? 
So is the doing coming from the fact that I realize that, that the Abishtah wants me to make this clea in order to bring it all down? Okay, so it's perfectly reasonable. Or is the doing just, I have to do what the Abishtah wants me to do because he wants me to do it, but it has no connection whatsoever to what's actually happening in my parnas. Which is a very, that's shtus. <laughs> shtus the Kedusha. That means my what, what is that? That means my involvement in the world is as much uh, a function of my relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu as davening mincha. Why don't I stop? Why won't I stop davening mincha to go uh, be involved in the world? Why should I stop? A person's a person. Obviously, I can stop davening, right? But a person a person is davening, and then something happens in the minion, whatever the minion's held up, whatever happens, and he, he has to get somewhere in order to uh, you know, do his job. Okay, beseder. So what does he do? He leaves the minion early and misses a two kadeshim in order to 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 get to the work. Why? Is there more God in the work than there is in the davening? If I say the work is the way, is the means by which God gives it to me, but mamish, the work is important, and God made it important, so then I might say, okay, I better leave the work. I better leave my davening. But, but, if, I, but if, I, if I realize that davening is what the Ibsen wants, the work is also what the Ibsen wants, but no less than davening, so I have to finish davening. Then when I go, then I'll, then I'll go to the work. The Ibsen wants me to go to the work. Why do I stop the work in order to daven, you might ask, if they're both, I'm just doing what the Ibsen wants. Mm-hmm. Well, because the Ibsen said, you have to daven mincha. So you have to daven mincha. Right? You also have to go to work. Right? So you don't sit and daven all day. You sit and, you know, at some point, you get up and you do whatever you have to do. So you do. And that's just the Kedusha. That disconnecting the two is shtus to kedusha. Shtus. I mean, of course, you. What you make it it is dependent on what you're doing and what your job is. Yeah, you sure about that? The yeah, just said, "Go get a job. So you have to get a job." It's what Rebbe says. Unbelievable. See, that shtus to kedusha. That's what the Rebbe's talking about. How do we build the base of Mikdash? Shtus to Kedusha. That doesn't mean a person isn't orderly and doesn't have a job. And the other Rebbe has a job. It's just the way he looks at it all. How does he see it all? The Rebbe wants this to happen this way. Now the Rebbe brings an example. Very interesting example. All right, let's just finish there. Before he gets the example, he... he Closure on all this. Vizel, and this is, and this is back to what we saw in the very first chapter. Make for me a mikdash and I'll dwell amongst them. In each and every one, each and every one of us is challenged to bring about a situation that godliness bangs around in our head. That our reality is a reality of revelation. We're sensitive to Lukus. This comes through our Veda, but Veda Sabirudim Shalai. Rectification. Shapayali. What does he what does he work on doing? to transform. Darkness to light. Meaning to be a person who sees godliness in the world, not darkness. To transform that which is below understanding, the elam, from velt of the world, 
That this will be something that's lamaile minadas. So one of the examples we just brought, work. What's work? World. Why'd God do this? I don't know. Doesn't make any sense. Okay, fine. Doesn't make any sense. Pain in the neck. Agreed. Source of most issues in the world that people have. I mean, now most issues come from drugs. But I mean, in terms of normal everyday life, most issues, where it come from? Trying to make a living. Right? Whether there's people who can't, so they steal things, God forbid, or there's people who just get so stuck in making a living that they forget to, you know, they forget to have a life. Why well, that the Abish created the world that way? Okay, so can I transform that mm-hmm. into something Lamailamina does? Shimizelamailamina does. The Yeshnam Kamadavarim Ba'adam, there are things in a person, Shuhu Noyekain, there are things that a person does, Vaila Azoi Tut Velt, because that's how the world does it. Tut means to do. Azoi, like this, Tut the world uh, does, Velt, the world. The world does it like this. Things people do, just why? It's called Hanakasaila. Hanakasailam are our basic understandings of reality that are very difficult to uproot. Right? Some reasonable, some unreasonable. What's an example of that? And again, not that it's wrong or unreasonable, I'm just saying it's an example of it. Hanakasailam. Your average, you know, Jewish family just about anywhere in the world, what do they expect from their children to go to college and get a degree that will help them make a living? It's not, it's not up for discussion. It's not something anybody talks about. It's just absolutely self-understood. Right? Axiom. An axiom of life. This is how it works. Right? Okay. That, that, that might be, I'm not saying that's unreasonable. That's just, it's one of those axioms. Like, you know... Remember, people ask me in terms of my own uh, little path in this whole Tarin, Tarin mitzvah. So, so I got from when I was here in Israel. I, was due, I, was due, I didn't like university, so I did two years of university in Vancouver. And then my brother was living here. He's newly married. And there was a program to come to a year of university in Israel. It seemed like an interesting way of burning a year of Torah and doing something. Burning a year of university, getting it over with, but doing something interesting. And, you know, there'd be one year left, one less year, one, only one year left when I finished fine. So, so I ended up in yeshiva that year. I did the college thing. I got it done. It didn't take very much time. And so I ended up in yeshiva. I spent most of the time in yeshiva. So then I went back and finished college and then came back and been here since. So, so and people are like, well, why'd you go back? So, well, you know, middle-class North American Jewish person. What must they do before they're allowed to be considered a person? They have to finish their undergraduate degree. Otherwise, you're not even. It's a question as to whether or not you have any existence. Right, so I had to exist first. You know, I mean, I had to have some existence in order to actually have a life. Oh, so I had to finish that. Okay, done. Now I can. Do it. <laughs> now I have a life. That was just the. That was just the way the world worked. That was just the halachasaylam as I felt. That's the way you do it. Okay. Rebbe also, in my case, not, but the Rebbe, Rebbe also told almost everybody, I know of only two exceptions, almost everybody who was in the middle of college when they ended up in yeshiva that they should go finish college. I know of two exceptions, but almost everybody was told to finish their degree. The Rebbe said it's not good to start something and not finish it. 
But these things, they're like a statue. You can't move them. They're immovable. Huh? Why? Well, this is what the world does. That's the way the world acts. And now the Rebbe is going to bring a very wild example. Etiquette. Right? There are certain things that people do. This a person has to transform into higher than Das Baveda. Now that doesn't mean that you you know don't say please and thank you. What does the Rebbe mean? The Rebbe says, for example, times of eating and times of sleeping. Very predictable to most people. Now, obviously in yeshiva, when you eat, you eat when yeshiva puts out food because you don't have your own kitchen, okay? So but we can, we'll talk about that also. Right? But when do people eat? So in America, right, I mean, basically you can, people don't eat dinner together as families anymore in America, as far as I can tell. That's, you know, they write articles about that. Okay, but in the old days, when families sat down after, you know, the father got back from work and the kids were home from school, when did they eat dinner? Six o'clock. That's when people ate dinner. And as a matter of fact, the news programs were on television. You know, so you could either watch it before dinner or during dinner. 5.30, 6, 6.30, that's when the main news programs were on. Because people are home, they're eating dinner. France, when do people eat dinner? 8, 9 o'clock at night, right? Not 6 o'clock. 8, 9 o'clock at night is dinner. Where? Probably in a restaurant. You see families sitting in restaurants with their kids at 9 o'clock at night. Like in America, the kids are all in bed. In France, the kids are in a restaurant eating eating dinner. It's just how it works. That's how it felt. That's how you do it. And if you, if you live in Paris, that's how it works. Well, why don't they eat at 6 o'clock? Well, it's just not what people do. Well, in America, they do eat at 6 o'clock. Well, that's what people do. Why? It's just what people do. It's the way it works. Okay. Manyen. <laughs> it is interesting. Less, it's interesting, less now... That might be negative, the fact that it's less now in terms of the fact that people, unfortunately, aren't sitting down and eating with their families. Okay, but, but rush hour, right? When's rush hour? 7 to 9. You can't park on the side of the street from 7 to 9. Why? Because there's a lot of people moving. Why? Well, because they're all going to work at exactly the same time. Which is, that's less now with computers, because people's work schedules are more flexible. Okay, but they're, they're, they're going to work. Why? What if they run the place? doesn't matter. They're there. Guy opens a store. When's the store open? Eight to six. Why? Kaka. And if he opened at eleven to nine, what would happen? Well, you live where it's open eleven to nine. Go into Gula. Stores aren't open at eight in the morning in Gula. Why? Because most of the people who run the stores are sitting and davening at eight o'clock. They're not opening their store at eight o'clock. Right? In Gula, you could go, go try to buy something in Gula at 8 o'clock in the morning. You can't buy anything in Gula at 8 o'clock in the morning. You can probably buy on Rehob Yafo, I don't know, but in Gula, you can't buy at 8 in the morning. No one's there. Why not? Because the people who run the stores have a different time schedule. That, but at 10 o'clock, they're all open at 10. Right? Then they stay open later. You have to make a parnas, you have to keep the thing open. Okay, fine. But it's just, that's what you do it felt. This is the way it works. But there's no absolute logic to it. It's just that's the way it is. Okay, so now, to a certain degree, what happens in Gula is Shtus the Kedusha. 
Because the reason they're not open when all other stores in the whole world are open is why? Because the guy running the stores went to Mikvah, <laughs> went to Davin, probably sits and learns a little after he Davins, and he gets to his store at 10, 11 o'clock. Oh, lazy, lazy religious Jews. Well, lazy religious Jews. He's not, not lazy. He's been, he was up at 8 o'clock like everybody else. He was ready to go at 8 o'clock, but what was he doing at 8 o'clock? He was in Mikvah learning and Davening. Not running his store. What does the other guy do? Jumps out of bed 7.30, takes a shower, gets in his car, he's at work. 25 minutes after he woke up, he's already at work. Well, that doesn't work if you have to go to Mikvah and learn Torah and Dauphin. You can't do all that in 25 minutes. Depends on the Mikvah. It might take you that long to cut through the dirt at the top of the Mikvah to get into the Mikvah. Not anymore. Right? Not anymore in the old days. Right? Can't do it. Okay. That's a little bit of shtus to Kedusha. So the Rebbe says such amazing things. Brings it down again. His, his father did it in our last mimer, and now the Rebbe, the Friedrich Rebbe is doing it in this mimer. In terms of the way the world works, the, you know, the sensitivity of the world. Very set times for sleeping, for eating. Right? Remember, I, I, it's funny because I, I don't know. I don't know. Everybody's family was different, but our family was at 6 o'clock. My father would walk in the door. 6.05, we're sitting down at dinner. Right? Mamish, you could set your clock, you could set your watch to it. He was always home at 6 o'clock. Sometimes he'd go back out for house calls. So doctors, he'd go out. He'd, you know, in those days, doctors did house calls. So we would go on house calls after. He'd always take one of us with him. But he'd go on house calls. But 6 o'clock, every day, home, 6 o'clock, punked. You could set your watch. Right? Hear him walking on the porch. Parked his car in the garage, walked into the back of the, the porch by the back door. And, you know, in he came. Okay. And, and by 6.05, we're sitting down and eating dinner, and it was probably over at about 6.08. You know, like, wolfed down the food so fast. My father would always ask my mother, like, why aren't you sitting and eating? She'd be running trying to feed these hungry animals. We all ate fast. Okay. To his great credit, right? Meaning, being a parent, I appreciate. I didn't appreciate it as a kid, but I certainly appreciate it now as a parent. What did my father do at 6 o'clock? He turned off the phone. No phone calls during dinner. Not allowed to answer the phone during dinner. It's time when we sit together, no phone calls, no distractions. It's really interesting, right? Now, it wasn't one of these, right? It was uh, you know, off the phone in the house. He would turn it off. You'd go and turn off the phone. No one could cut. It wouldn't ring because it was off. And then after dinner, turn it back on. What's going to happen? The world's going to fall apart if someone can't call us? It's so interesting in, you know, in perspective of these things now. You know, like, oh, what did I do? What did I do? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. What did I do? Oh, nothing. I mean, something. Turned off the phone. So that half an hour. Okay. Call a good So these things are, are set in stone. Right? It's, it's, it's sleep. Some people are very, very mockbeat in terms of when they get to sleep, which is a, a good thing, right? It's not a bad thing. Right? The person gets to sleep, he has to get to sleep so he can get up in the morning. It usually has a time he has to get up in the morning, right? Because he has to get to work, he has to get to chassidus, he has to get to whatever he's doing. So he figures out how much time he needs to sleep. He goes to sleep. Okay. Here, mitzad hergesh elam hem kvuim biitim zvanim. V'gam 
Also, when he has to deal with his business. Pretty predictable when, again, less, a little less now because of the way business works and computers, but, but still pretty predictable. You know, still talk about nine to five. These times, they're immovable. Meaning when most people, it's very, you know exactly what their schedule is and they keep to that, you know when they're eating and you know when they're sleeping and you know when they're working. Most people. Some people not. Most people, that's the way it works. Right? Some people have very, very flexible jobs and they live in lofts in, the, in Manhattan or something. You know, they're that kind of guy. Fine. And these times are, are set in stone. And the times that are set aside for learning and davening, they might be pushed off. They're not set in stone. And sometimes they'll be pushed off completely. I mean, the person's never going to miss lunch, but he might not learn Rambam that day. He's not going to miss lunch. Yeshiva. People miss chsidis. They don't miss breakfast. <laughs> the guys who don't get up for morning, they're always in breakfast. It's always interesting. As the chsidis teacher, you, know, you notice these things. Other teachers obviously don't notice them, but as a, if you teach chsidis, you notice it. I mean, well, you know, try not to, but it's so hard not to. Breakfast is important. Sometimes they'll come into breakfast. You know, I mean, they'll miss davening. But they'll be in breakfast. You know, look, it is true. There's, there's food for X amount of time. They're hungry. But I understand. What's important? What am I really here for? Of course I have to eat. I'm not here to eat. We eat in order to do all those things that we're really supposed to do. So I can't make eating the ichor. Times when a person learns. So it might be as a balabas. Here in a yeshiva, so you, you all know when you learn. 10.30 to quarter to two, and then officially four o'clock to whatever, seven, whatever it happens to be, right? But, but I mean, and, and all sorts of people, Baruch Hashem, see all sorts of people in Zal in between, you know, in, in after lunch, sitting and learning. Some people are resting, some people are doing some exercise, some people are sitting and learning. Okay, say there. Beautiful, amazing. So obviously in yeshiva there's times, and you keep those times. You'll not keep those times. You have to keep those times. Very, very important to keep those times. It's not a time to say shtus to kedusha. That's shtus to klip. Not keeping those times is shtus to klip. I have my own times. No, that's shtus to klip. Rabbi calls it that all the time. Someone who doesn't keep the seder of yeshiva, that's shtus to klip, and not shtus to kedusha. Okay, said, but that there's something that I was talking about. He's talking about a balabas. Someone has a job. Right? Or someone who's, you know, they love to have a bus. He's got a job. He's got a job teaching Torah. He's a, he might be in Shlichus, whatever he does. Okay, Peseder. But he has to set aside time when he's going to learn Torah. When is that time? Whenever I have time. Oh, that's when you eat? Now, sometimes, right? but not usually. Usually make sure you eat. Because right? if I'm learning Torah only whenever I have time, so then there'll be times when I don't have time. No such thing. Can't be such a thing. There can be times when you have times to eat. Time to eat. Fine. Can't be. Can't be such a situation. You have time to learn Torah. Can't be such a thing. Why? Because what are you here to do? Eat or learn Torah? You here to learn Torah. You have to eat in order to learn Torah. But you're not here to eat. So you have 
have to eat. So eat. Say it. Figure it out. Remember in yeshiva, there were three guys who had all gotten from with the same person in Brooklyn, who was uh, a guy who was very, very into, into uh, macrobiotic food and, and eating healthy, etc., etc. So the, the three of them came to yeshiva together, and uh, they're really good guys. And, uh, and, and they, they spent a lot of time, prepare, they lived in an apartment, and they spent a lot of time preparing their own food, a lot of brown rice and broccoli and you know, soy sauce and good stuff, good stuff. And they'd bring it to yeshiva, and they'd eat it. They, 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 they did to it. One of them used to eat it with, with chopsticks, whatever. I mean, it was, you know, first year yeshiva. So at one point, sitting next to one of them, Baruch, my roommate, Baruch Garten, he's a breast-lever chassid, lives in, lives in Meishai, I'm one of the very, very important person in Safras in Yerushalayim, a very, very serious guy in buying, selling, writing, mezuzahs, tefillin. He was a very good safer, and he became you know, very involved in it. Um, really good guy. So uh, we were roommates in Yeshiva once he moved into Yeshiva. So one day, he's sitting and eating the same... I mean, the food was really bad. I mean, not like here. The food was a la panim. I remember once, they served us the same stuff three days in a row, but none of us ate it. So it just came back the next day. Well, none of us ate it. It came back the third day. So I remember it was Matt Trop. I remember who did it. It was Matt Trop. He's a rub in New Jersey now. Matt picked up the whole tray, and he said, Matt, what are you doing? I'm throwing it out. Putting it in the garbage. So we're all cheering. Hey, go on. He threw the, all, the, all the food in the garbage and it was all gone. They gave us the same leftovers. We didn't eat it the first day. They gave us the second. It was unbelievable how bad the food was. One day, Barak was sitting next to me eating. I said, Barak, what are you doing? I'm eating. He wasn't happy about it. He said, I'm eating. I said, well, he was always sitting there, you know, he had his own dishes and his own knife and fork and then and, and it's his, his brown rice and his broccoli and he good food. He said, I realized how much time I was taking preparing food every day. It was just a total waste of time. I could have been learning instead. I mean, you've been shooting long enough to realize, wait a minute. You have to eat, but I mean, am I going to spend that much time and energy preparing my own food? So, he said, when I have my own house, I'll eat what about right now? I'm in yeshiva, so I'll just eat this horrible stuff. He used the word. I used this horrible stuff. It was terrible. I mean, and I, I'm not going to die, and I'm going to get married at some point, and when I'm married, so I'll eat whatever, you know, we'll, we'll be able to take control of what I'm eating. Right now, I have to eat this stuff. He figured it out. It took him six months in yeshiva, but he figured it out. And he put away all his pots, and I'm sure he probably has the same plates and pots now, probably not, right? It was 40 years ago. But whatever, right? Yeah. Figure it out. But I understand. I'm going to spend so much time worrying about what I'm eating. You eat it. You have to worry about whether it's kosher or that. You can spend hours. If you have to worry about whether it's kosher or not, you better spend the hours worrying about it before you put one morsel in your mouth. But stamazoy, you're in yeshiva. You have to eat. Get it done and be done with it. You want to complain about it, so you can do that. That's part of the show, though. There's not much to complain about here, right? Especially, uh, you know, it shows up. It's hot. If you like shakshuka, this is the place to be. Okay. So eating, Rabbi says, 
set time. Again, in yeshiva, of course, there's a set time, but we're going to talk about that in a minute also. Mm-hmm. Work, set time. In yeshiva, of course, there's a set time for learning, 100%. But it might be that a person pushes off his learning completely when, he, when, he's, when he's out there in, in the so-called real world. I didn't have time today. When a person thinks about this, does this make sense? Who knows his time? He knows how much time he's really got in Elam Hazar. A person isn't in control to say, Wait, me God, wait. Until I make my cheshbens, you know, I, I mean, I, I take care of my financial problems, I'll, I'll be financially secure. Vaj at and I take, I bring up my kids and get my kids out of the house. kol nafshin, obviously taking care of his house is important, taking care of his kids is important, that's part of his avayda, right? But it, it, he's not going to learn until he's got all that taken care of. kol how can he put his whole soul, al davish ain bay mamish klal, something that has no absolute meaning. Meaning it's just a means to an end. Va'ala Iker, and on the reason he's down here, Masha Isaac Avana Biyaridis Nishmasa Lamata, that which is the ultimate intention of the descent of his soul into this world is Shekhech Lagam. Completely forgets. Vurak mitzada ruhstus. And this is because of the Ruhstus, Shemachasal Emes, that hides the truth. Eating. Sleeping. It's all about Kedusha, right? It can be done in a, in a, in a way of Shtus to Klipa, or it can be done in a way of Shtus to Kedusha. Right? What's an example? I remember hearing Gershi Avson is a Rosh Hashivan in Cincinnati. He grew up in. I mean, he might have grown up in, 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 uh, in uh, Crown Heights. I'm not sure. It doesn't matter. The story is about his father. His father grew up in Detroit. Gershi Avson is probably 35. His father grew up in Detroit, the Absin family. There's a lot of Absins. There's a place here called The Rap, run by Rabbi Absin, so that's an uncle of Gershi. It's in English, run by Yen Absin, who just passed away suddenly six months ago, so that's another uncle of Gershi. There were, I think, 16 Absins in Detroit. So their father was very Chassidishian. He was in Detroit. So Gershi remembers that his father told him a story. When his father was a little boy, so this is you know, 50 years ago, when his father was a little boy, he went with his father to the Rebbe. And uh, fun, they spent some time in, in Crown Arts. So, so at one point, he was, he was like 8 or 10. And he was, in, he was in 770. And he told his father, I'm going to where we're staying, I'm going to go eat lunch. Fine. So his father said, okay, you know the way? You know, you know where to walk? Granites was not a neighborhood you wanted to walk a block in the wrong direction in those days. Parenthetically, I took one of my sons for, uh, how old was he? I guess he must have been, he must have been an Achist Tefillin. Right? Took him to the rabbi, and uh, we were staying in a house in Montgomery in New York, and I, you know, I drew him a map of where he could walk and where he couldn't walk. Now things, Baruch Hashem, are not as crazy as they were then, or they're getting, again, but whatever. 
So, so uh, I drew a map, and, 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 you know, Eastern Parkway, do not cross Eastern Parkway. You do not cross Eastern Parkway. You do not go on the other side. The other side, there are now Jews living on the other side. In those days, there were nothing. I mean, only on Eastern Parkway, but don't cross Eastern Parkway. Fine. So at one point, he wanted to go back to the place we were staying. I was in 770. Fine. You know where you're going? You got your map? Yeah. 25 minutes later, he comes into 770 with his eyes red. I said, what happened? I went the wrong way. I said, what do you mean you went the wrong way? I said, I went the wrong way. I, I crossed Eastern Parkway, and I went a couple of blocks in, and I got lost. I said, how did you do that? I mean, you don't. I said, well, how'd you get back here? 65, 70-year-old black woman on the other side came up, he said, came up to me. He said, little white boy, what are you doing here? Because that was a, that, that's what it was in Brooklyn in those days. What are you doing here? Took his hand, walked, he said, are you, are you, you want to be in that big building on Eastern Parkway? <laughs> Stepping, no, right, that's the, the lot of craziness going on over there. You want to be over there? I said, yeah, come with me. Took him to the corner of Eastern Parkway in Kingston, said, cross the street, go. Right. So that's what it was like in those days. It was not, now, Baruch Hashem, things are calmer. Right? I mean, right. But it was, it was dangerous. Okay? So, so his father drew him a map, how to get home. Fine. So he's worried that he wasn't like my son. He didn't cross. This is Gershi Absin's father. He didn't cross Eastern Parkway. He went out of 770, he took a left turn. He's walking along. As he's walking along, he notices the Rebbe is walking towards 770. This little 10-year-old sees the Rebbe and he like, wants to hide. He doesn't want to be scared. He doesn't want to see the Rebbe. So he like, goes over to the side of the street and hopes that the Rebbe doesn't see him. The Rebbe walks by and says, Shalom Aleichem. Shalom, he doesn't know what to do. So he says, uh, you know, where are you going? Yeah, I could probably ask them where, but I don't, that, that part of the story I don't remember, but the part of the story that's important. Where are you going? No, where were you? All right, so he said, I was in 770. Where are you going? So he said, I'm going home to eat lunch. So he said, will you do me a favor? I'll do the right there. Will you go back into 770 and learn for five more minutes and then go eat lunch? Will you do that for me? Went into 770, learned for another five minutes, then on average. That's called Shadusta Kedusha. There's nothing Alpitam Vadas that makes that a reasonable thing to do. Alpitam Vadas, it's much more reasonable. Go home. He's, he's obviously hungry, right? So he's going to have better learning after he eats. Go home, eat, and then learn for an hour. Now, right now, take a little bit out of yourself. Add five minutes to your life. And that you can do in Yeshiva. After Mincha, Mincha. Maybe there's not food. If there's not going to be food, go right away. Sometimes at lunch there's no food because everybody's up by lunch. Go take food? You can go then, take food and then go. But I, I wouldn't even, that's just a waste of time. I would honestly go take the food, eat it, and be done. Right? If you're already going in there, just eat it. Right? Okay. Morning, there's always, for sure, there's food. Right? After, after shachas. Spend three more minutes, four more minutes in Zal. Open up. 
Learn, learn a Pasuk with Rashi. Learn a Mishnah. Learn a three lines in Tanya. Do something for two or three minutes extra. So that it's not, okay, I finished davening, boom, first one in breakfast. Right? After Mincha, all of us know, anybody, who, I mean, obviously I'm at the end of Mincha now, I'm the one making the noise until the end, but, but, but anybody who stays in Mincha until the end, what do you know? As soon as you walk into, into the lunchroom and wait in line, there's always eight or ten guys who are there, I don't know when they got there, but they, they're sitting eating lunch. Mincha, I mean lunch, first they're first in line, they've got their lunch, they're sitting down there, Masudar, they took care of themselves. Hopefully they took enough for the... <laughs> only enough so that uh, other people can get this. That wasn't always the case, but I think it's getting better. Okay. Manyet. Where were they in Mincha? I don't know. Did they hear the last Kaddish? Definitely not. They couldn't have. No, no way they heard the last Kaddish. So wait, they're going to leave Mincha and not hear the last Kaddish so they're going to be first at lunch? Well, then I wait in line. So what? Who cares? How long is the line? It's not like, you know, this is Russia and we're waiting in line for, for a potato for three years. You know, it's been three minutes you wait in line. It's a big deal. Nope. Out. So don't, don't be that one. Be the guy who says, you know what? I'll do what the rep says. I'll spend three more minutes in Zal. I won't get the lunch at, you know, two minutes to two. I'll get the lunch at two or one minute after two. What'll happen? Nothing. Nothing's gonna happen. If there's no food, then go on time. If there'll still be food, sometimes if you spend 15 minutes in Zal, by the time you get there, there's no food. Okay, so that you don't want to happen, because you need your food. Right? I mean, for me personally, if that happens, it doesn't matter. I've got a house, I've got a refrigerator in my house. It doesn't matter, right? So I'll get home at some point, I'll have food. That, but you guys, it matters. You're not, you don't have a place. So you have to eat lunch. So, so if, that, if lunch isn't there, go right away, after the last cottage. But if lunch is going to be there, if you're there for two or three more minutes, so spend two or three minutes in Zal and learn some Torah. Say some Tehillim. I don't know, something. Do something of Kedusha for those extra two or three minutes. You say, I'm learning all day. That's called Shtusta Kedusha. I'm getting out of myself. I'm changing the order. I'm not doing Azoitut Velt. Everybody has to be, I have to be at, at lunch on time. No, I don't. I have to be in Seder on time. But I don't have to be in lunch on time. As long as there's food. If there's no food, pull a Black Friday and you know, trample the person in front of you. It's a wild world. You read this. This should be as a veda. To transform as a shtus to nevisha bahamis. And them koch from velt. His focus on worldly things, Ela Kedusha. His focus should be on Kedusha. Lamaylamitam Vedas. To focus on the world is Lamatamitam Vedas. Doesn't make sense. The Rebbe's not saying that's normal. Says, that doesn't make sense. I Meaning, once you understand why you're here, it doesn't make sense. Why are we spending so much energy involved in things that are only, they're, they're not the Icar reason I'm here. Right? They're, a, 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 they're a, a means to an end. 
if I'm on an incredibly high level of Aveda, I can make them an end unto themselves, but that's already incredible Aveda, that even your involvement in physicality is an expression of your relationship with God, which is that third level we talked about earlier. That's very hard. Usually we see it as a means to an end, okay? We can get to the point of complete shtus to Kedusha, but that's hard. Vaz I'm sorry. V'yamed al nafshe, you know, stand strong. V'yik v'la'itim l'tara, you know, make sure that there's time set for tara. And what do you know about this person? It's one thing you know. Don't call him between 8 and 9.30. Ever. He won't answer his phone. Why not? He's learning tara. <coughs> you don't know what he's doing the rest of the day. I haven't got a clue. I haven't got a clue when he goes to sleep. I haven't got a clue when he eats dinner. I haven't got a clue what. Oh, but one thing you know. 8 p.m., he doesn't answer his phone. Why not? Because he's got a kavrusa, and 8 to 9.30, every single day, he sits and learns tough. That's what he does. He runs a very big business, or he works for someone. He's the guy who sweeps the floor. What difference does it make? What does he do? 8 to 9.30, his wife knows, his kids know. Oh, no, I want to be with my kids. It's important to be with my kids. Very important to be with your kids. There's no question. It's also very important that the kids know, Tati goes to learn every night at 8 o'clock. They know that about Tati. That's what they remember. Tati went to learn every night at 8 o'clock. He used to, he gets home from work, hard day, he's tired. Mommy's tired. What does he do? You know, hello wife, hello kids, sits down on a chair and crashes for half an hour. Sorry, no such luxury. Why does he do? Immediately rolls up his sleeves and becomes an active partner with his wife, taking care of the kids. Okay, what? What? Mendy, you need a bath? Come on, let's go. Let's go, sport. Come on, let's go. Ah, okay. around with Mendy and throw Mendy in the bath, and he splashes around and you know put him in the water and pitches in the water and all you know the old. Okay, great, fun. Mendy in the bath, good. Lots of fun, right? And this one needs this, and this one needs that. Those two hours, you're crazy, it's the crazy, it's a lot of fun, but it's the craziest two hours of your day. Five to eight, what does your wife know and what do your kids know? You're out the door. Because there's a chavrusa at eight o'clock, it's chavrusa at 9.30 every day. Right? Maybe sometimes it's in your house, sometimes it's in his house. <coughs> Usually when you have young kids, neither of you can do that in your house. <laughs> it's just too crazy in the house. Once the kids are a little older, it's nice to have it in the house so they can actually see Tati sitting and learning with this chavrusa. They hear it. You know, they're upstairs going to sleep and they hear what's going on. They hear Tati you know, and the chavrusa trying to figure out what in the world is Tati saying here. What is this? Right? Okay. But that's life. That's, and that's that's the condition. That the, the, the immovable is that chavrusa at night. Hard to do. Hard to do. Then I'll dwell amongst them. What's the Rebbe say? A person who lives his life that way. What happens? It'll illuminate the revelation of a godly light in his soul. He'll become a person sensitive to Elokus. His life will change. And this is what it means. We're back to where we started. This is what it means when you subdue the Sitrach. When a person works, brings about, causes, lafak, to transform, as a shtus that never 
the the shtus of the nevish abamis and the mukach from velt and a person's focus on worldly things ella kedusha into a state of kedusha bekimatari mitzvahs. What's he crazy about? What's he meshuga about? Tari mitzvahs. In Eretz well, there's a saying meshuga ledavar. He's meshuga ledavar, completely focused on it. Yep, that's when you get things done. If you're not meshuga ledavar, it doesn't happen. But what are you meshuga for? Hopefully kedusha. Right. In Klipa, if you're not Meshuggah Ladava, you don't reach your potential. Right. My brother was a very, very good tennis player. It's Wimbledon, so I can test the men's final today. Big day. Right. I grew up playing tennis. That's what we did. Okay. My brother was a very, very good tennis player. His doubles partner was invited to Wimbledon and asked my brother to come play with him in Wimbledon. He was a very good tennis player. Excellent. A lefty, too, which is good, because no one knows how to handle the lefties. Okay. But when he was 18 or 19, he quit. So I asked him. I was his little brother. He was like, so well, why'd you quit? He said, well... Well, it's actually an interesting, there's a, it was an interesting story when he was 15, that I'll tell you in a second. But we, when he was 18, 19, he quit. That's the why. He said, well, I got to the point, the only way of getting better at what I was doing was I would have to go for four hours a day, and for an hour, I would hit backhands down the line. And then the next hour, I'd hit backhands cross-court. And then I'd hit forehands down the line for an hour. And then I'd hit forehands cross-court for an hour. I just didn't want to do that. Meaning, what did he, when he was just playing, he enjoyed it. It's a very, it's a very, very enjoyable way to spend an hour or, you know, even five if you're a kid. It, 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 you know, it's a, just a lot of fun if you know how to do it. It's a grand, it's, it's amazing exercise. Right? Okay, so that he loved. When it came point, you know, because why do you have to do that? Well, when it's match point against you and the guy hits you a ball here, you have to be able to hit that like without thinking. Like you, this is like, you know, taking pudding and putting it in your mouth. I mean, what you have to practice? You just put it in. I mean, boom. Okay. Now it's deuce again. You just have to know how to do that. And he said, I don't want to. When he was 15, we were in L.A. visiting an aunt and uncle, and and my parents decided to take him to a. a tennis coach to see just how good he was. He was really good. And they took him to a guy named Pancho Segura. Old-time tennis coach. He was a tennis player, and then he became a coach. He was Jimmy Connors' coach, if that <coughs> name rings a bell. Same age as my brother. Just an idiot. That's why he kept playing tennis. He was playing, but I think there was a half an hour lesson or something. And I was a kid. I was watching. Playing. One point, they were rallying, and Pancho Segura came up to the net. My brother, who's a lefty, so I don't know, like hit a backhand, passed him at the net. Pancho Segura looked at this 15-year-old kid, little squirt, looked at my parents and said, a 15-year-old never did that to me before. No 15-year-old ever passed me like that. So then at the end of the lesson, he asked my brother, I, I, this is a conversation I remember, I was standing there, he said, do you want to be the best tennis player in the world? I said, yeah, sure. Do you want to give up everything to do that? I said, no. I said, go have a good time. 
I mean, if you want to be the best tennis player in the world, you have to be Meshuggah Ladabar. You have to be Pashat Crazy. Right? Now, that's Klippa. Why would you want to do that? Right? Like, crazy. It's nuts. Okay, but, but if, 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 you don't, if you're not nuts, you're not going to be the best at it. There's no way. Right? You have to be completely Meshuggah Ladabar. In, in Kedusha, where do we see that? Right? Here in Eretz Israel. All those settlements that exist in the liberated territories. Why do they exist? Because there were a couple of people who were Meshuggah and they said, this is what I'm doing. I'm putting Jews in this place. And two or three guys went and got, you know, another seven people and, and they end up with like some beautiful settlement out there where there's a bunch of Jews sitting and living in Eretz Yisrael making sure that Eretz Yisrael belongs to the Jews. Because if it weren't for those people, it, you know, <laughs> the border would be four blocks from here. Right? Okay. But which ones worked? Meshuggah Which ones didn't work? Almost any time Americans, except for Efrat, but any time Americans went to build a yeshuv, there's a couple of examples where Americans went to build a yeshuv, what were they going to build? A house in the suburbs. They wanted a nice house. Couldn't get a house in your You build a house out there. Want a nice house. Those communities all failed, one after the other. Fascinating. Why? There's no one Meshuggah Ladover. You have to have someone who's Pashat Meshuggah Ladover. My wife and I lived in one of these settlements for three years before we had to start educating our children. Just want to, you know, be Parsi, what that was all about. Amazing people. So, so uh, the guy who set up was one of the first 10 families in the place we went to. We were like family 30 or something. Now there's about 250 families out there. <coughs> but we were there, I guess, number 30. It was pretty rudimentary living in those days, fine. So, so, so the, one of the guys who, once they got to 30 families, we were there a year, the Pellises, amazing people. Effie Pellis, special guy. He was the head of the yeshuv, he was like the, the mazkir, you know, the, he's the guy who sat in the office and ran the place, like the mayor. <laughs> he left with his family, five kids. He said, I can do this once more. Started another one, called Malay Levona. He went to a place called Malay Levona, sat himself down there, got a bunch of families, built another one, spent two or three years in Malay Levona, right? got it on the ground, it's a flourishing yeshuv today, moved back to the place where we were, a place called Kokhara Shachar, and, and that's where he lives today. But, Meshuggah right? One point he said to me, he said, Kaplan, why don't you get 10 Lubavitcher families up here, we'll start to make this place rock. Right? It wasn't going to happen. Really interesting guy, but Meshugaladab. So what is a what is a yid have to be? Meshugaladab. So those are examples in, in Gashmias. Now the Gashmias of the setting up the settlement, that's Kedusha. The Gashmias of learning how to hit a tennis ball, so that's Klipa. You have to be Meshugaladab if you're gonna accomplish anything. <coughs> you wanna be you wanna have a relationship with the Avish, you have to be Meshugaladab. You have to just push it Vadas. Want that relationship and get that if, if I'm gonna do it like a balabast, everything will be nice and comfortable and perfect and in its place. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. To be like the Navi. Move over. And then the Abishta comes in and shines. But if I don't move over and it's just me organizing things in a nice, comfortable way, then it's not going to happen. As when a person transforms the Shtus to the Nevisha Bahamis, as he's Stalak Yukud Kuchabrikhuam. Goes out the glory of a Kodesh broken all the worlds. Shemer Mizgala Ursa Kitzer. 
The Rebbe in the fifth chapter finally explains Shtus to Kedusha. We are waiting since the third. Like throwing off the, a person's sensitivity to his own seichel and his own midas at the time of Nevuah. The Mishkan is Miyatse Shittim, which is the question we asked at the beginning of the third chapter. To take the Shtus, Shittim, Lashon Shtus, and transform it into shtus to kedusha. That's how you build a mishkan. And like this in the avoid of every single person, right? Bringing Mashiach, shtus, to kedusha. You're not going to bring Mashiach by being a balabas, ordering everything nice and sweet just for me that my life is nice and orderly and perfect and everything is in its place and there's God over here and there's my car over here and my house over here and my wife and kids over here and everything's nice and cool and sweet. Okay, that's good. We're trying to turn the whole world upside down. Keravel. You have to say, height today. To get out of ourselves. Little shtus to Okay. Tomorrow...